Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Shall we start? Let's do it, man. Lead us in. Aiden Jones, I start my podcast the exact same way every time because I'm a routine guru. Um, and I would love to know about your last drink. Can you tell me about your last drink? My last drink. I don't remember the um, – well, you know what, though? All right, so I can tell you about my last night drinking. Sure. Um, my last night drinking was in Bangkok in Thailand. I was emceeing a show. I was doing a tour supporting uh, legendary Canadian comic Glenn Wool. Okay. And uh, we did shows like around Asia, like Myanmar and Singapore and, and blah, blah, blah. And then um, – this uh, Bangkok show, I just remember like it was, you know, free booze at the show for acts. And so we had like wine and the sponsor was a vodka company. And I remember I was pretty loose at the show, um, a little bit too loose. No one said anything. I remember being like, oh, that was probably like not professional. And then I one some other local comic guy I just met that night. Me and him went out to like one of the bars where you pay girls and you like buy them overpriced drinks so that they like stay and talk to you and they like sure. dance on your lap a little bit. And Got it. I've I've heard those places exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a thing. It's a vibe. Okay. Um, and we spent all of our money doing that. So at some point on that, it would have been my last drink. Like I was just, you know, the drinks for. Like for the guys, it's like a normal price. And then for the girls, it's like three times as much. But if you don't buy the girl a drink, then she leaves. Um, so wow. we sat there for like two hours doing that until that closed. And we were just two horny dudes, unattached, drunk. And um, the night ended. We were like, you know what? Fuck this. Let's just go to the like actual brothel. And uh, I remember we walked in and there's just like a room full of other kind of sad dudes, you know, waiting their turn. And I realized mm. I didn't have any cash on me. And so I was like, I've got to go to the ATM. And this is the bit that really drove home, like we, that we were just like cattle. Um, one of the guy from the brothel came with me to go to the ATM to be wow. like, make sure that I didn't get poached by any other brothels because he knew that I was just like a drunk, you know, like a mark. And um, at some point between leaving and getting my money, I had a moment of clarity because I went back and I saw my mate sitting in this in this kind of lobby and I was just like, dude, let's get the fuck out of here. Let's not do this. And uh, I went home to the hotel and, and jerked off like a man, you know. And, oh, like a real hero. Yeah, like a, like a hero. And then in the morning woke up and uh, had a realisation that I could just never drink again if I wanted. And that was – I spent the day mulling it over and by the end of the day I decided I was sober. That, so tell me about 
that's a really intense story. But so <laughs> this moment of clarity, okay, what do you think that was? Is it a spiritual awakening? Was it like, because if when you're, you know, drunk out of your brain and, and making, you know, really big choices about who you're going to spend the next bit of time and money with, uh-huh. it, I find it that, you know, a lot of people get to a point where they, they can tell me the moment they blacked out and they don't remember yeah. anything after that. You've had the opposite of a blackout during a really booze-fueled situation, which I find really interesting. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're putting um, like maybe more uh, kind of weight on it than I would give to it here. Like okay. For me, I reckon because I wasn't fucking blitz drunk, but I think for me. Like I was drunk, definitely. Like I'd been drinking, you know, for five or six hours, but I hadn't been like... I used to get sometimes get way more drunk than that. I was definitely right. still enough to remember and okay. But I think I was using the alcohol as a way to escape, you know, whatever feelings I was feeling at that point that okay. I needed to deal with. Um, and so the fact of knowing that I could always have another drink just meant that I didn't have to address stuff. But the moment of clarity was just as simple as like man i could spend you know whatever it was two or three hundred australian dollars to have sex with a a prostitute right now or i could go home and jerk off and save that money (laughs) i mean that's literally all that it was like what a savings Uh, hack that is (laughs) savings jack actually (laughs) savings jack that's not bad at all yeah, man. Savings <laughs> hack. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a, seriously, there's a book in that. Like, if. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, oh, wow. And, yeah. And then yeah. in the morning, but in the morning, the kind of broader realization was like, I knew that like sex and drinking always kind of went hand in hand for me, I think, because I mm. sex is like, I want intimacy. I crave intimacy like anyone. And I guess as a man growing up, I never understood how to like ask for that intimacy. Right. And so drinking was a way, like a shortcut to just be like, if I get drunk and stay out long enough, then I'll just end up hooking up with someone. And that mm. feels close enough to the intimacy and the love that I actually desire that it'll tide me over until next weekend, you know? So leading up to that night, what kind of a relationship did you have with alcohol? Like would you have classified yourself as a problematic drinker or was it just it went hand in hand with the scene that you were in? Like what, you know, did you have any sober curious thoughts leading into that sort of period of your life? Yes, so that was June uh, 2019. and in I, all of my life, I never like I started drinking. You know, I'm 32 now, so I was 28 then. I started drinking when I was like, you know, 16 or whatever. And all from then, all the way through, I never took any time off. And I had friends who used to take time off. Who would take, mm. like uh, one of my best mates would always take like a month off every year. And I always remember looking at him doing that and being like, that's really cool that he does that. I don't think I'll ever do that. Um, and then in October 2018, I did Sober October, not for charity or anything. I just didn't drink. Sure. And I remember, like, I loved it. I'd never taken so much as a week off of drinking, let alone a whole month. 
Wow. And I remember feeling the clarity and like, this is so cool. I save all this money. I go out and I don't stay out and I don't embarrass myself or whatever. Mm. But then I remember thinking like, I would love to keep it going, but like there's this party or this event or the next thing or whatever. And um, so I just went straight back to drinking. And I guess to go back to your question, was I a problematic drinker? I think I was. I don't think I realized I was. I never got to the point, I don't think, where I necessarily lost friends, although it maybe affected relationships in my life. Mm. But um, yeah, there were definitely a few nights where... I would wake up and feel like I had to apologize to people or feel like I just, there was a lot of shame in the morning. That was always the worst part. And, um, but I, I think I used drinking as a kind of like ambient background noise in my life to distract myself from the things that were actually causing me like emotional turmoil, you know, like things in my family life or my relationship with my dad or never having met my biological dad and all this stuff that are kind of big stories in my life. Mm. Um, drinking was a great way to be like, I don't care about those things and I'm drinking so I don't feel bad. Yeah, I think I think that's really how we get through those tough periods of time. And the, the culture definitely where I grew up was you just, you're a teenager, it's inevitable that you're going to get blind at a party. It just depends on when and how how bad it is Mm -hmm. and then you just sort of you get into this slipstream of drinking and and we don't and then like really big stuff happens you know and we don't get taught how to cope with emotional turmoil childhood trauma or any not that everyone has trauma and not that everything that is not positive equals trauma but I think for your story in particular like not knowing your biological dad, big part of your identity, you know, like a big, our parents imprint so much onto us and not having a relationship with either one of those people can be so confusing for a person to figure out who they are and how everything fits. And then when we don't feel comfortable or that we have the answers, alcohol is just there. Like it's just always there and I think you then can get into your 20s and go well this is just how I function now so like let's just do this and then and then one day it just doesn't for some people it just doesn't work anymore it's like this isn't helping this is having a negative impact in particular areas of my life it's not ruining my life but it's not making it any better it's almost like a way of arresting your development you know because like to grow you have to go through the difficult things and alcohol is a way of not going through the difficult things, which is great because it feels nice, you know, and sometimes, and it works for some people. Like if you have a job or your lifestyle or whatever, where you can just sit at where you're at and you're happy with that, then drinking is great. But, Mm. um, I don't know, man, I just, yeah, I think I've always been, uh, I'm someone who I'm always kind of dissatisfied with where I'm at. So I'm always like, how can I change? How can I grow or whatever? Mm. Um, I would love to be able to just drink, man. Oh, wouldn't that be lovely to just drink and be happy? But for some reason, there's something in me that's like, no, it's not enough. I need more. Yeah. (laughs) And I I think because also I don't agree, but that's fine. I, I don't want to drink, but it's because I know what alcohol does, right? I think I know what you're saying in the sense of like, wouldn't it be great if it wasn't problematic and we could just all like have a couple of beers and then no one gets 
alcohol use disorder. Nobody gets behind the wheel of a car and kills a family. Like it yeah. just doesn't affect us the way it does. But part of the appeal of alcohol is that it does actually rewire your neurochemicals in your brain and your neurotransmitters. So it actually, the reason that it works for people is because it stops your brain processing the reality that you're in. So it becomes this amazing escape from what we actually have to face. And then you're right with the arresting your development thing because unless you face it, you can't grow. Like you've got to go through it to grow through it, right? So, I yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting one because I feel like I've studied alcohol now um, so much that I know how damaging it is for us and I know, I know how toxic it is. I, I understand the myriad of negative effects that it has on so many layers of our um, behaviour, our emotional health, our mental health, our physiology, our relationships that I'm like, stick it all in the bin. Like it's it's no good for anybody. (laughs) I don't don't know, man. I I don't think personally that there's anything inherently bad or wrong with alcohol, but it's the relationship that you have with it. You know, because I mean, you could say that about anything. Like you look at the way, I don't know, I'm I'm about to talk about something I know nothing about, but you know, like sugar, like you could go cake is fucked. Cake makes you bloated and it makes you this and that and it spikes you or whatever the fuck we should all give up cake but it's like at the end of the day there are these things that you know can harm us if you it's like moderation it's it's dealing with it in the right way like my, mm. my best friend is a winemaker and i would love nothing more than to sit around a table with him and a few close friends and down a few bottles of wine and get a little bit silly and not you know not like hurt anyone or not sure. get behind the wheel of a car or whatever it is. Yeah. But um, I've I've realized about myself that at the moment where I'm at in my life, I don't have the capability to do that. But maybe in the future, you know, I'm not like I'm never – I at the moment I feel like I'm never drinking again. But mm. I'm open to the idea of 10, 15, 20 years down the line when my life looks very different to reintroducing and see how that is, you know. There are some people who – um can sit on a glass of wine all night you know like there are i've socialized with people who they they have a one glass of wine over the course of an evening and that's enough for them and that's um that is how their relationship with alcohol is and i think that is something that I have never experienced because for me when people say to me like so you know like were you out of control and like did you have a drinking problem because people want to know like what was the big leaving Las Vegas moment like how did you nearly blow up your entire life being a booze hound that you had to stop drinking and Mm -hmm. sobriety is your punishment because you couldn't handle your alcohol and for me it was like I just had a stopping problem like once I would start drinking I just I didn't know I didn't really have an off switch until I ended up kind of at home in bed and feeling really rubbish and it wasn't that there was this like catastrophic incident it was just uh, similar to you um but not in a drunken haze in a hungover haze where i went this isn't working for me like as much as i am avoidant to the issues that i know are deep-seated that i that i 
should face but don't feel like I have the guts to face, this whole alcohol thing is really not going well for me. And so yeah. I think maybe I should just stop. And it really was initially that like sober curiosity of going, I wonder what a weekend off alcohol feels like and looks like and what my life experience would be on Monday if I didn't have a couple of bottles of wine over the weekend with whoever and wherever. And totally. and those initial questions are what led me then to like rubber hits the road moment and go, okay, I'm going to stop drinking for a month and see what fits. And that was eight and a half years ago and I haven't had a drink since. Yeah, right? I was so, about to ask you about your story. So eight and a half years, hey. Did you, did you say you have kids before? I have one kid. He's four. So I, okay. I, was, I got way sober before I was a mum. Yeah. And probably the, the reason, like, he's my miracle kid and the only one I'm going to have. So in many ways, had I not have stopped drinking when I did, I don't know if he'd be around, which is like a total brain explode because, yeah, well, you know, he's like just sure. salt of the earth. So, yeah, it's just interesting. I wanted to ask you about that Sober October that you did, Aiden. So uh -huh. because you said how, like, you did the Sober October thing and then you were like, meh, and then you kind of probably had a really wet November. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I actually don't remember the Sober October that well, but I do remember the next year at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, so uh, uh, April 2019, um, I did the same thing. I was like, I'm not going to drink for the whole Comedy Festival. Yeah, right. And, uh, I remember getting into the rhythm of I was doing my show at uh, this bar or whatever, some bar on the river, Um and they didn't have alcohol-free beers or I didn't really know anything about alcohol-free beers at the time and maybe they weren't quite where they are now. Mm. So I remember getting a uh, – you get a free drink every night, like, you know, just because you're performing. And, oh, okay. Um, I, 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 the year before I was at the same venue and I used to get a pint or two pints every night. Yeah. And so that year I was like, give me one of those big one-liter bottles of Cappy sparkling water. <laughs> And I remember really getting into that rhythm and like loving it and having that on stage and you know oh, that wow. being my thing. But then after the first, because the Melbourne Comedy Festival was three and a half weeks, and yeah. uh, the first two and a half weeks I did it, and then I was like, man, let me reward myself. You know, I've done my sobriety thing. I've proved to myself again that I can do it. So I did the last week, and I was like, I'm getting fucking lit up. Last week a comedy festival, and it's a big party. And the last night of the comedy festival, the Sunday, is a big party with all comedians and everything. Hmm. And I took some drugs. Um, by the way, I want to note my sobriety doesn't include drugs. So I okay. drugs was never a drugs was never a big problem for me. It was always the drinking. I'm someone who I'll take drugs if they're there, but I'm not looking for them. You know. Sure. Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that night Melbourne Comedy Festival, I got really drunk. I took uh, a bit of MDMA. And don't remember a lot of the night. Remember it going through until the next morning. But then like a week later, I had coffee with another friend, a comedian, and she said that the way that I was in the club at the closing party, she said I was creepy to one of her friends. I was like oh, following wow. them around and it was just like uncomfortable. And she brought it up with me in a way that was like, we're all good. You're fine. But I'm telling but... you this because I care about you. Wow. And, um, that scared the shit out of me, man, because, like, you know, first of all, feel guilty and bad for having done that or whatever. But also, if there's one person saying it, there's probably 10 people thinking it who didn't say mm. it. And uh, it was just such a wake-up call to be like, 
I know, like I have memories of being myself, like an out-of-body experience looking down on myself at other nights, you know, just like this drunk dude, like looking around the dance floor. Like, and like, I know that's in me, but to have yeah. someone say that to me is yeah. like, oh yeah, man, there it is. It's not just you, people yeah. notice. Um, and so it took me a while to kind of stew on that, like a few months, but that was also... You know, like I said, drinking and sex was so linked for me. Like mm. the fact that the last night I drank, I was like, you know, in a club paying a girl to dance in my lap and then thinking about getting a sex worker. It's all, it's, it's all kind of the same. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's, it's drinking, going to sex, going to intimacy, going to love, going to all this stuff and quitting drinking was just like, let me take the thing out of the equation here. That's like muddying the waters to actually right. try and figure out what it is with me and sex and intimacy and what my relationship is to that. Cause that's something that I want to have in my life, obviously. Of course. Intimacy and sex. Cause then that leads to this like love and romance and all this other stuff. But I think drinking was just um, an element in there that was kind of making it a lot harder than it needed to be. So how, like, how has that journey been for you in sobriety? Like how, how were you scared to have sex for without drinking for the first while? Cause it would have felt very, I can imagine it would have been a very, very different experience for you. Yeah. Um, let me try and remember cause what I did the Edinburgh fringe 2019. I can't remember if I, had sex with anyone that fringe but i remember um like january february 2020 so after i'd been sober for like uh you know eight nine months going to perth for the perth fringe just before covid and everything like mm. covid hit in march of that year so it was like you know perth fringe great festival and i remember meeting this girl at the local cafe and then her and her friend came to my show and there was this one night where we all went out and i'd stayed out and i was sober and i remember like knowing that i i liked this girl and that you know maybe we were going to hook up and that could be fun and almost having this thing with myself where I was like I could just have a drink just to kind of yeah. smooth the thing yeah but deciding but I decided one I'm not going to have a drink but also two I'm not going to go home because I felt like I'm not drunk so I feel uncomfortable staying out but I just like kind of pushed through that discomfort and we ended up hooking up and having sex and I, in my mind that's the first time that I really like slept with someone sober and just kind of sat with the discomfort i felt like i you're right i felt like i had to relearn yeah kind of process well you have i feel like when you've been drinking um for a lot of your adult life which look if you started drinking at 16 i was a similar age i stopped drinking at 35 so that's a lot of time um experiencing life through the lens of you know booze right so really when you get sober, you have to relearn how to exist in the world yeah. uh, without that lens. And it is so uncomfortable and so super awkward. And that, and I'm just talking about hanging out, you know, like I'm not talking about sex. I just mean, I remember the first, I went to like one of um, my work colleagues, housewarming parties, like the within the first three months that I was sober and I just felt so weird. And I'm like, I've been to a thousand housewarming parties and I've, mm -hmm. you know, I've had the best time 
at all of these parties but I because I'm sober I'm with the same friends at the same kind of party we're playing the same music we're singing the same choruses but I feel so weird because I don't know what to do with my hands and everyone (laughs) like when they put on fireball by pitbull and somebody brought out a bottle of fireball tequila and they were passing around shots and I was like nah (laughs) and they're all doing fireball and I'm like yeah with my yeah, water like you yeah. just feel weird for ages but it's but then it's muscle memory right i think that it, i i liken it a little bit to like when you have a kid they go through all these milestones and it's just like mm-hmm. blows your mind like the first time they smile and the first time they projectile vomit in your face you know really really <laughs> awesome stuff yeah, yeah but yeah. when you get sober it's like you almost have to do the same thing well i remember like the first wedding i went to when i didn't drink alcohol I, and you kind of like um reintroduce yourself as a sober person into society which is really obsessed with alcohol and and then for a really long period of time I don't know if you felt the same Aiden but I felt like I was a bit of the weird one I'm like I'm the one I'm the weird sober person sitting in the corner with my pants on you know and everyone else is just wild in the arse so on saying that how do you do this in uh, in a comedy environment because as a, a consumer of comedy, um, I always find comedians and alcohol really go hand in hand and and especially audiences watching comedy, it's like have a couple of beers and, and the looser the audience gets, the more laughs you might get. And I don't know how that, true that is for you. Yeah, definitely. Man, before I go answer that question, I just want to run the clock back. I just did the maths in my head. You're 43. I'm 43. 43. You yeah. look I, you're 10 years younger than 43. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? That is out of control, you're 43. I am. I was born in 1980. Oh, um, God, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, but I'm definitely, you know, I. And you're, putting I on, you're putting on lip, lip gloss like a 25 year old. <laughs> you know it, man. Um, yeah, I am 43, and I, and maybe this is like the best advertisement for sobriety ever. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, yes, she gestures across her yeah, face. There. This, the face. But also, my mom is from the Caribbean, and so um, she's from Trinidad and Tobago, and I, so I have those. I feel like. Rice. Yeah, I'm mixed race, and I feel like that those um, West Indian Spanish genes are they just yeah, I don't know. My mum, yeah, my mum's seventy four, and she doesn't look seventy four. Is she so. put on lip gloss too, your mum? She taught me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get by with the no drinking thing. You're like, hold up, let me just apply some lip gloss here. To just wait and flick the hair up. like that's my token. Yeah, good, great. <laughs> Tough, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, definitely in comedy, there is a trope where people say to the audience, um, you know, the, the, the more you drink, the funnier we are. Everyone mm. always says that. And I guess it's kind of true, but I don't know. I, I think comedy is about connecting with people, and you can definitely connect with people sober and drunk. And it's actually easier to connect with an audience. If an audience is too drunk, you're just fucking herding cats in there, you know? Yeah, sure. And they're not actually yeah. listening to what you say and it's more just about rhythm and kind of confidence and whatever. Mm. Um, the kind of comedy that I like to do... I mean, I, I, I like to do club stuff and I like a, like a drunk late-night gig as much as the next comic, but, like, 
I like to tell stories as well. And if I'm doing a long set, I like an audience that's actually concentrating and a drunk audience mm. is, is hard to make concentrate. Um, I found that I am way sharper as well. Yeah. When I, when I quit drinking, I get so much like, yeah, it's definitely, you can feel like the, the quickness on stage. Um, just kind of following a train of thought and, I was never really drunk on stage. I was always one or two drinks in, but yeah. Um, what was the question? <laughs> I think you answered it. It was just, it was just this idea that I guess my perception of comedy is that it really does go hand in hand with with booze, and that you often see a you know a stand up comic um, on stage with a beer in their hand or a couple of beers in, and then you know afterwards it's like yeah come to this bar and what you know it's like a real and it's you don't usually go to a comedy gig for a matinee. It's usually late night into the early hours of the morning. It's a whole scene and it's a whole industry that pivots on those day parts or night parts, and so I just wondered you know what your experience was because you've been in comedy both drunk and sober and so you know i think you i think you identified it there you know what there's actually um because there's a bit of a to just to get into a a bit of like i guess comedy inside talk there's a kind of split in the comedy world that can be broadly like defined as uh us versus uk slash rest of the world Okay. And, uh, US, the US style of comedy is clubby, it's punchier, it happens more in venues where there's a bar in the same room as the show, and mm. the shows are, they go MC and then feature and then headline, um, and they don't have a break, and it's table service, so drinks get brought to the tables, whereas in the UK, it's kind of built... And there's, it's not, I mean, there's, there's heaps of exceptions, but like broadly speaking, it's a lot more theatrical. Mm. So shows are one hour or an hour and a half. They happen in a theater. The bar's in a different room. People yeah. buy their drinks and then come into the show. They don't eat in the same room that the show's happening. And because of that, the style of comedy isn't as punchy, like that, 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 that. It's much more like there's room for a bit of a story. There's room for a bit of emotion. Um, there's room for, you know, you don't have to have a punchline every 20 seconds or whatever it is. You can kind of let it breathe. And so it, be, it becomes a bit more theatrical. And the best examples of that are guys like Stuart Lee or Daniel Kitson, um, who will have a matinee show. And it's interesting because when you come up in comedy, you don't get to play good rooms because no one knows who you are. So you just play the yeah. worst possible place. And yeah. it's always around like you know if if you're a no-name comic and you want to start a show you're going to go to a bar and the bar's going to go how many people can you get in here and can we have a break or two breaks because we need to sell booze because that's how we're going to sell like make money on the show so it is you're right it's absolutely all founded around it's like the comedy is almost secondary to how many people can you get in the venue um yeah, that's yeah. so interesting because just thinking back, I lived in Adelaide for a couple of years and oh. it's all right, I got out. It was fine. It was only two years. And, um, From Adelaide, I don't know. <laughs> I was there for breakfast radio, but when oh. Fringe Festival, um, it was the best time. We went out, we saw comedy everywhere, Rhino Room every five seconds. and mm-hmm. we. And, but it was very much um, like 
at the Garden of Unearthly Delights. It it like you bought tickets and you went into a venue and they may be you know portable venues that were constructed yeah, just for the festival. But it really what it's and I've never really thought about it. But it was like even Rhino Room. You go and you have a drink at the bar. Then you go and you sit down and you it's like you know you're in a theatre almost watching yeah. somebody on stage. And then yeah, you can go out via. But I I don't, I don't think I've been in a comedic environment where it's table service and it's a hot, like it's, a, it does sound like a completely different environment. So do you have a preference on where you like to perform or what you want your audience to be doing? Yeah, well, definitely I would prefer, oh, well, you know what? Actually, that's a great question. And weirdly, I'm in two minds about it because like if it's, um, like my gut instinct is to say that I would prefer a room where it's like a black box, you know? Um, so like there's no bar, it's just the show. But I mean like somewhere like the Garden of Unearthly Delights in Adelaide is also founded around like selling drinks and selling food. Um, mm. And so the shows definitely suffer because they're intense. So there's a lot of noise bleed from outside and then difficult environments because when there's like noises happening, then the audience gets distracted. You want the audience to be focused. But by the same token, if there's too much, if it's just an empty room and the audience is just looking at you and the stage, sometimes that can be too much focus and so there's not enough room for spontaneity in the show because like mm. some of the best show there was a show in melbourne years ago called crab lab the, the pandemic killed it unfortunately but it was the best show in the city it happened every wednesday it was in a bar in the city in chinatown and there's a the bar was in the same room as the show so there's always people kind of moving around mm. And half the audience was standing, like there weren't enough seats, but it was full. So people would be standing around watching the show. People are moving, going to the bar. It wasn't super loud, but loud enough that you really had to fight to get the audience's attention. And when you have to fight, it mm. brings an energy to the performance that makes it better, I think, than like, you know, sometimes when you have what is on paper the perfect uh, the, the perfect environment for comedy, it can be a little bit too sterile and it just becomes like a play. And you don't want that. You want it to be, you want there to be a bit of a fight because it's a collaborative art form. It's, it's something that happens between the audience and the performer rather than the audience just passively watching the performer. It's, it's definitely a collaboration. Is that sort of similar to some comedians, I think, love a heckle? Like they love a bit of an yeah. audience interaction that they can, you know, like riff off or um, have a zinger for? Is it sort of a similar thing? Not so much a heckle, no. But <laughs> You're shit! <laughs> yeah, or, or just like, you know, when people call out and they try and say something funny, it's very rarely, if ever, going to be good. But I just yes. mean like... Um, when the audience can kind of i don't know what it is man it's really intangible because i don't want people you know shouting out their own jokes because sure. people don't know timing and whatever yeah um sometimes it can be funny though but you do want a feeling of like i don't know maybe you go into the audience and ask them something or like there are weird laughs and you address those laughs in the room and sometimes when it's a a, a kind of um a sterile environment you know like if you hear someone react to a joke in a funny way that's involuntary i don't know i guess there's a difference between someone shouting out trying to make themselves the center of attention versus someone kind of having a, a, a an honest reaction to something 
mm. that is different that draws people's attention in the room. That's cool. Like yeah. if you say something and someone goes, oh, because it relates to their life and they're yeah. not trying to be like, let me say it. They're just reacting. Yeah, sure. That's something that you want to be drawn by that and let the show kind of go in that direction. Well, that's a, then that's momentum, right? Like, is that, yeah, yeah it's like yes. the energetically yeah, yeah. Yes, you've got, energy, energy, it's energy like the, it's, you know, it's like when you run, it's when you run lines of random soap opera reference, but like, it's all about landing your piece of dialogue on someone and their response and their reaction. And that creates, yes. creates energetic flow. If you've got yes. an energetic flow with your audience and you start riffing and then, you know, like it's a whole, yep. it's a whole thing. Are you, are you yeah. an actor? No, <laughs> no, I, but I was on a soap opera once, um, which okay, is, and right. I just, when you said that, that took me back to the rehearsal room and I was like, yeah. oh, that's what we used to do. And that's yep. how we used to um, come up with the best response and reaction that we would then film in, you know, when we were doing the actual scene on the set with all the extras and blah, blah, I, blah. I often say like, um, because another part of this kind of theatrical tradition of stand-up is that people will have directors in the UK when they go to really? festival, they'll write their show and they'll have a director who tells them, you know, do this or do that or whatever. And that's fine. But for me personally, I think what's the point of having a director? Because in stand-up, the audience should be your director because mm. you've got to, part of the skill of learning how to do stand-up is learning how to listen to different kinds of audiences and kind of hear what they're telling you. And yeah. So if you have an audience that is in a sterile environment that they're too scared to quote-unquote talk, that they don't react in, a, in like, you know, the subtle ways or whatever you can't hear what they're saying so you're not going to change the material like the audience tells mm. you what's funny and the audience tells you what's good and you can tell by different ways by like the way that people's body language are or the way that the audience goes quiet or doesn't go quiet or reacts mm. to little things what they're thinking and how they're feeling about the stuff that you're saying so there are certain there are definitely to bring it back to the original point there are certain environments that i think provoke better reactions from an audience mm. that as a performer you can then listen to and understand more about their reactions to what you're saying. Yeah, I, that makes total sense to me. So is sobriety a part of your stand-up now, like your actual show that you do? Is, do you talk about you, you're pretty open about it and has it given you content for your show, your sobriety? Yeah, definitely. My show this year is called The Morning After. It's about how I quit drinking. I thought it would solve all my problems, but I'm still a dickhead. <laughs> that's amazing um, but I, kind of, I, I, I talk about i'm glad that that tickled you oh it is, it's just <laughs> it's funny you. because you there'd be so many people that would call their stand-up show the morning after how i quit drinking to solve all of my problems and my life's amazing which is bullshit yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're which calling it and being so honest and going, I'm still a bit of a dick. I'm still a fucking <laughs> idiot, man, of course, you know. And if anything, quitting drinking didn't solve my problems. It just showed me what they were, and now I have to deal with them myself. Mm. So if anything, it's worse, you know. It's sure. Hard. It, doesn't, it, it, it yeah. doesn't actually improve your life. It makes your life worse, and then you get better. Yes. Um, yes, you, know, you do. At the start, it's harder. But... Um, yeah, I, I, the show is kind of, I, I talk about when I started drinking and the guys I grew up with and the culture around drinking and tell some funny stories about that. And then I go into the reasons why I was drinking, which was to 
um, like I said before, to make it easier to deal with difficult things in life. And I mm. look at the ways that other people around me deal with their difficult things in their life and think about what other strategies I could have if I take drinking away to deal with those moments. So it's, more, it's, it's less about like the first 10 or 15 minutes is about drinking stories and drinking and mm. whatever. And then after that, I just kind of talk about my um, – go into the, yeah, the reasons for drinking. And then I look at like the way my mom deals with drinking. I look at like going, uh, sorry, the way my mom deals with difficult things in her life or the way that other people deal with them. I talk about therapy a bit. Um, and then towards the end of the show, I tell another story of, it's almost like something that sounds like it could be the story of a drunken night out. But as it happens, I was completely sober and I still made a, an insane decision. Oh, Wow. I want to hear yeah. what that is. I'm not going to ask you to if it's if I would, it's. I, I would love for you to come to the show one time. Man, how do I have to fly all the way to Edinburgh though? Like, no. aren't you out of here? Like, I this is. It. I actually missed you. I I was in Newcastle in uh, in March. So close. I did my show at the Newcastle Comedy Club. We just ships in the night. Bro, I'll have to come to Gosford. You know, I'll hit that guy up who said that there's no shows in Gosford. There's no, there's Mother no Parker. shows. There's no Pulling shows on. really. I'm coming and through. There's a there's a gap in the market here for funny people, um, yeah. or, or yes, <laughs> I would argue that I'm funny, but I'm not a comedian. So, um, I find what you said really interesting, Aiden. That because um, I I say that sobriety exploded my life in a great way, but it, it didn't. I think some people take like. When I say that, they just assume that my life became perfect, um, but it doesn't. And I think that that's a bit of a misconception about sobriety. It's like, oh, I'll get sober and solve all of my problems. Like, no, 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 no. You get sober to do exactly what you just said, identify what the freaking issues are that you've yeah. been suppressing and avoiding and not mm -hmm. figuring out. And then sobriety gives you the capacity to or um or the courage to face them if you do so wish or you can avoid them in other ways without you know yeah. drinking which is the hard work we can do hard things but also sobriety doesn't mean your life just all of a sudden gets amazing and and that's not a complaint that's just real world because my dad died a year ago and so getting sober didn't mean that my pops didn't die, but getting sober meant that we could actually reconcile and have loads of healing before he passed away. And it actually gave me um, like the space to deal with my heart breaking into a thousand pieces, which sounds really heavy, but I'm okay to talk about it now because I think grief is one of the things that we lean into alcohol for because we have zero coping skills when it comes to grieving and facing hard, difficult, you know, confronting situations. But I feel like if you can do it sober, you do it whole and you do it better. And it doesn't mean that the grief only lasts for three weeks or whatever it is it just means that you have the ability to get through it and then to like it's almost like rearrange your life with that hole in it and and be okay with that kind of thing so i i commend you on being super honest about the sobriety bit which is it's really hard <laughs> which is why people don't do it because we don't like doing hard stuff but you're obviously a really great example of how you can do it and it doesn't mean that you have to just wear pajamas sit in your room with a hot water bottle and never be hilarious like you can have the full expression of hilarity in your sobriety as well so, and that's why i wanted to talk to you because i think it's a really great story that you tell um and it's a really honest one 
Man, I'm sorry that your dad died. That sucks. It does sorry. suck. It it sucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's it, but it's okay. You found that quitting drinking gave you the opportunity to connect with him in a way that you wouldn't have before he died. Yeah. So I, I we it's a bit of a longish story, but we were um, he moved overseas and we he had he had bipolar disorder, which is um, for people who don't know what that's like to have a, somebody who you care about have a mental health condition um it was a very tricky relationship to navigate i'll leave it there mm-hmm. and so we had not been in communication for a number of years until um six weeks before he passed away when i got a random message from a random associate of my family from a hundred years ago wow. uh that my dad was unwell and wanted to talk to his daughter and his son before he passed away and then from there we were able to like it's really really kind of like detective work it was had to figure out how to get in touch with him and he had been unwell and it was a whole thing but yeah if I wasn't sober I would not have had the courage or the compassion to want to resolve what what we ended up resolving and what ended up being like a beautiful end to his life rather than a super tragic end to his life yeah totally oh good for you man that's very hard stuff I, I really think for me that quitting drinking was a symptom of my decision to take seriously the work of, you know, getting to where I want to be in my life and being the person who I want to be and like thinking mm. about what I want. Because that's such a powerful question, right? What do you want in life? What do you want? You're here. You've got it. You're alive. Mm. You know, how cool, how lucky. What yeah. do you want to do? Because you've only got a certain amount of time. And um, quitting drinking for me was like, a part of that question like if i if i ask myself what do i want how do i get those things like i want to do stand up and i want to have a family one day and to be able to do both of those things and all of the stuff around that mm. drinking was just like it just it made it so clear that was something that was in the way yeah um, and you know for you i mean i'm sure by the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like you quit drinking necessarily to be able to talk to your dad but why did you quit drinking Similar. I I realized that it was the roadblock to all the things that I wanted in my life, and it yeah. was it was it was one of those things that kept showing up in my life that was not good. Like it just mm-hmm. every time I drank, it just it didn't end up chaotic. It just wasn't mm-hmm. great, you know. And I yeah. think I I got I just got sick of it. And then I also realized that if nothing changes, nothing changes. So. It's on me. Like I can't keep waking up every Saturday really unwell and hungover and it just magically expecting it to, sh- to change one day, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I think I really like put on my big girl pants and I was like, well, I need to change my behavior <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to get a different result because the result I'm getting is not the one that I really want long term. I don't know that this is sustainable and it's heading in a direction that's probably going to end up in tears. So let's do a season of sobriety. And back to your um, sober October that you did that you can't really remember. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I do say to people, like, if you want to have a month off alcohol, great. I'm, I'm never going to stop you having a month off alcohol. Go nuts. But if you don't have a clear intention about it being a discovery of sobriety, 
it will only last a month because you're probably just taking the month off to prove that you don't have a problem. Um, yeah, and we sure. can we can really easily convince ourselves of stuff. And so my advice to people is like, if you're going to do 30 days or two months, like have the intention of discovering what your life looks like without alcohol, because there's um, there's compound benefits to that rather than white knuckling it for a month going, well, I don't have a problem because I, I can get away with not drinking for a month. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. And I mean, you know what, though, if someone discovers what their life is like without alcohol, and then they decide that they also like their life with alcohol, that's sick. You're allowed to make that decision because it's your life. Because it's your own decision. That's the thing that I really want to drive home Mm. to anyone is like, whatever decision you make, know that you have a decision. Because the reason that I quit, I think, was when I realized that I could quit, that it was an option that was open to me. Before Mm. that, I was like, well, of course I drank because I just drank because you drank it. That's what you do. Yeah. I think any choice that anyone makes about any relationship that they have with alcohol or with drugs or, you know, whether you want to have a family or not or be single or fuck Mm. everyone or whatever the fuck, as long as you know this is a choice that I'm making and I'm going to do it, great. Yeah. You know, whatever choice you make I think is valid. It's so cool. I've taken up plenty of your time, almost the amount of time in which you would do a stand-up set. So um, I appreciate you and your sobriety and good luck. I know you're going overseas now for ages. Yes, so that's true. Good luck yeah, with man. that. Can, can I drop, drop a little plug in for my podcast here? Please. Um, I uh, do a podcast every week called Still Not Drunk. Uh, it's about well, – I, I just I interview other comedians and funny people in my life and uh, – we talk about life while we drink an alcohol-free drink, different drink every week. Love it. And um, eventually we get around to drinking. Or, but it's, it's more like we talk about the ways that we all cope with the bullshit in our lives. So, like, mine was drinking. Now I've taken it away. I've got other stuff. So I kind of talk to people about where they're from, where they come from, where they grow up, and then how do they, you know, for some people it's drinking, but for some people it's whatever. Amazing. And people can get that wherever they get their podcasts. Yeah, that's it. It's on my, if you go on my website, aidenjonescomedy.com slash podcast, it's right there with all the links, everything you need. It's called Still Not Drunk with Aiden Jones. Amazing. Thanks so much for your time today, mate. Mate, thanks so much for having me. What a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus.